Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Job, y'all do great every week. I'm thankful for our worship team, Pastor Adam and all the hard work they do. Praise God. And uh, they do a great job. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word this morning, if you'll turn to a couple places, uh, I want you to turn to the book of Revelation chapter 1, and then we're going to turn to 2 Peter. And uh, right before the COVID-19 hit, and right before uh, we spent about eight weeks as a church uh, just live stream, I had just started a series, and uh, I just started a series, and I was a couple sermons into it, and then COVID hit, and I had to lay it down. But I want to go back to that, and I, I want to go back and do a little bit of a review. Some of you may remember, some of you may not have been there. Um, but the, the, the title of this series is, is if, if the pattern's right, then the fire will fall. If the pattern is right, then the fire will fall. And really, it's a series on the priesthood of the believer. And that's what I want to talk about this morning a little bit is the priesthood of the believer. I want to read a couple of passages of Scripture to you this morning out of the New Testament. And beginning in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6. And um, it says, And hast made us kings and priests to his God the Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now turn over to 2 Peter chapter 2. And I want to read a couple of verses here. I want to start by reading verse, uh, let's read verses 4 and 5. It says, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and, and precious. You also, as living stones, are building up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Now go down to verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light. How many are glad that God called you out of darkness and into a marvelous light? Hallelujah. And uh, we're going to go through a lot of scripture this morning, so if you have your Bible with you, and give me some time to lay some of the groundwork of this teaching this morning, because I really feel like the Lord wants to do something in our hearts. When we come to the understanding of who we are in Christ, that we are a New Testament reality of an Old Testament principle. And uh, these passages of scriptures talked about the priesthood of the believer, and the priesthood of the believer. You know, uh, our Christian world is ever-changing, uh, but God says He never changes. Today, more than ever, Christians are truly desiring deeper, the deeper things of God. We live in a society that demands to know more about everything. In today's world, most people are extremely media-conscious. The Christian world is no different in their search and quest for deeper spiritual meaning of life. The prophet Daniel foresaw this time and prophesied of it in Daniel 14, verse 4. He said, Many shall run to and fro, speaking of the last days, and knowledge shall increase. 
Man has changed, but God never changes. Jeremiah said it like this. He said, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. In other words, what Jeremiah is saying is, is that God has laid down the paths that, that we are to walk in, and they are old paths. They've been around and established for a long time. If we just find them and walk in them. God's ways are established forever. They're time-tested, time-proven. His ways are of old, and in God there is no variableness. How many believe that? Amen? Amen. For I am the Lord, I change not. And I like what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. You can turn there. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. The Apostle Paul said this, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now that is a very powerful verse of Scripture. Now, the New Testament, what does the Bible teach on the priesthood of the believer in the New Testament? Well, there's very little that is talked about on the priesthood of the believer in the New Testament. But we have to go back to the Old Testament to look so that uh, we could, so the old can reveal to us the new. We must go back to the Old Testament, and many times we know the Old Testament was type and shadow, that what was in the natural in the Old Testament can be applicable to the spiritual in the New Testament. And so when you go back and you look in the Old Testament and you look at the priesthood, what you see in the natural is also uh, a picture of what is spiritual in the New Testament. For instance, it says here in Romans 1 and verse 20, it tells us that for the invisible things of him, the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even the eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. In other words, we can understand the eternal Godhead by the type and shadow of the Old Testament. In other words, it's an invisible rim. We don't see it. We can't see it, but it's there. And most of us, uh, you know, most of us can't penetrate that rim and see uh, that which is un- un- invisible, um, but we know that it's there. And even though we know that, that we can't see it, because we, we are, unless we have an encounter with God and God opens that up to us, the invisible rim we can't see, but it's there. Today we are, we are locked into our five senses our conscience, uh, what we see, smell, hear, taste, and feel. But God says, I'm going to give you a pattern to show you how to understand the invisible so that you can see it. It says in verse 20, those things that are clearly seen, clearly being understood by the things which are made. In other words, God says that, that by the principles of the natural, I'm going to reveal to you a principle of the Spirit so that you can see 
spiritually into a realm that I'm going to show you in the natural. The natural always reveals the spiritual. The natural always reveals the spiritual. And this is a, this is a biblical concept about truth is that, is that when God reveals something in the natural as spiritual, the concept must have a witness. So if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, First Corinthians 15, and beginning in verse 44, the Apostle Paul talks about the natural and the spiritual, and this is what he says in verse 44. It is, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written... The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And then verse 46, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterwards the spiritual. So what Paul is testifying to is that God sends the natural as a picture to what he wants to do in the spiritual and show us what he wants to do in the spiritual. In Job chapter 12, verses 7 and 9, God talks about how creation teaches us that through creation, through the birds, through the fish, through the, uh, all of creation, God teaches us his nature through creation. David said that the heavens declare, declare your glory, declare the glory of God. In Proverbs chapter 6, Solomon taught about slothfulness, and he said, examine the ant. He took the natural to reveal to us a principle about slothfulness. And so the scripture tells us that we are, Peter says, we are a royal priesthood. We are a kingdom of priests. We are a kingdom of priests. And so in the Old Testament, we have to look at the blueprint of what God laid down in the Old Testament to understand the reality of what God's trying to reveal to us about the priesthood in the New Testament. And so I want us to look at a couple of things this morning. First of all, we must understand that in the New Testament, where God mentions the Jews, he also mentions the Greeks. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 6, the Bible tells us that that, that we are also children of Abraham, just as the Jews are. And it says that, that our salvation comes through Christ. And in Romans 11, 11, it talks about how salvation, the reason, it gives us an indication of why you and I are saved. Why did God pour out his spirit on Gentiles? Why are we saved? Well, Romans 11, 11 tells you. It says that we are saved that we might provoke the Jew, that we might provoke the Jew to jealousy, that we might provoke the Jew to jealousy towards God, towards Christ, that we, that through God's goodness to the Gentile, might provoke the Jew back to Christ or back to Jesus. You say, well, we have an Old Testament principle of that. How many remember the story of, of Naomi and Ruth? How many know that Naomi was a Jew and Ruth was a Moabite? 
And Ruth said to Naomi, she said this, she said, Naomi, your God will be my God, and where you go, I will go. And Ruth, when she came in to Bethlehem with Naomi, she, she began to glean the field of Boaz. And she gleaned the field of Boaz, and she gleaned the field, the seed of the barley, and gave it to Naomi. It's a picture of the Gentile taking the seed of salvation and presenting it to the Jew. And so we are saved. We were saved to provoke the Jew to jealousy. And so it is a spiritual, it's a spiritual principle. I want, to, I want you to go to Revelation chapter 3, and I want to show you a couple of things this morning. Revelation chapter 3. And uh, we have to understand that any time the priest served in the office, they had garments on themselves. So in the Old Testament, when the priests would serve God, they had to put on garments. They had to wear garments. Those garments, uh, God clothed them with them garments in order that they might serve and be able to serve. In order to serve, they had to wear those garments. And so in the New Testament, those garments are not physical garments, but they're spiritual garments to us. Revelation chapter 3, and let's look first at verse 4. The Bible tells us, You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their what? Their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And so we see uh, here in Revelation, we see the foundation of garments. The priestly garments represent certain things in our lives. When the priests would put on priestly garments in the Old Testament, there was a spiritual principle to us as priests of God in the New Testament. Let us look at in the, in, here in Revelation 3. We see the seven churches, and, and there's three aspects of these seven churches. One is that they were real churches. They were seven churches that exist. Two, uh, there's the dispensation of time. They represent the dispensation of time throughout church history. They also represent a personal and spiritual application to our lives. In other words, these churches represent a spiritual application to each of our lives. Revelation tells us, it says, uh, it shows us what was, what is, and what shall be, what shall be to come. Now look over to Revelation chapter 15, 16 and verse 15. Revelation 16 and verse 15. It tells us this, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And they gather to themselves together in one place in the Hebrew called all them again. So there's a picture. These garments are not physical garments, but they're spiritual garments that are being talked about here. Back to Revelation chapter 3, down to verse 14. The Bible tells us this. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, these things saying the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Look down to verse 17. Because you say I am rich, 
have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do, and, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Verse 18, Jesus counsels them and says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and, and, and anoint your eyes with eyesab that you may see. Now, this is, not, this, is a, this is speaking here not of a natural nakedness, but a spiritual nakedness. Because of your lukewarmness, he says that I, I will, I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. In other words, what it's saying here in Revelation to the Laodicean church, the church of the last days, is that you need to be putting on spiritual garments to cover your nakedness. And so spiritual garments, there are spiritual garments that we are to wear and to put on in order to cover our spiritual nakedness. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, we see something interesting. Jesus here is telling a parable. And in verse 1 and 2, we know that. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by a parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king who, ar- who arranged a marriage for his son. Now, Jesus is talking about a parable here. And then if you go down to verse 11, it says, But when the king came in to see the guest, He saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servant, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him in the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, in Matthew here, it tells us there were those who were trying to enter the wedding feast, the wedding garment, or the wedding, but they didn't have the right garments on. So they were cast into outer darkness for not having on the right garment. There are, there are certain garments, spiritual garments, that we must wear and put on in order to get into the wedding feast of the Lamb. James chapter 4 tells us this. It says, it gives us a simplistic and authoritative promise about process of knowing God. It says this. It says, draw nigh to God and God will draw nigh to you. How many know that if you'll draw nigh to God, God will draw nigh to you? And so God wants us to draw nearer. But in order to draw nearer and get closer to God... We must put on the right spiritual garments in order to be in his presence. When the priests would go into the tabernacle of Moses, they had to have the right garments on in order to go into where God's presence was. If they did not have the right garments on, they would face death, even done to death. If they didn't carry the right spiritual garments. And so... There are spiritual garments that we should be having on. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Bear with me. I'm going somewhere this morning. It may not seem like it, but I am. 
How many know Scripture interprets Scripture? Man's opinion is not what's important. Scripture always interprets itself in Scripture. And I'm going to establish a type this morning and showing you that the importance of having spiritual garments on this morning. Revelation 19 and verse 7, it tells us what garments are required for the wedding feast. Look at verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife had made herself ready. And to let her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The wedding, the wedding garment of the feast in verse 7. And then verse 8 tells us that linen is what? Linen is the righteousness of the saints. Fine linen is what the priests would wear. Fine speaks the fine linen in the Old Testament speaks of righteousness. Certain garments required to go in to the feast. There are certain garments that are required to go into the feast. In Isaiah 63, the Bible tells us and identifies what those garments represent. It tells us in Isaiah 61, verse 3, that it speaks of two garments. It speaks of the garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness. The garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness. And in verse 10 of Isaiah 61, it tells us that the two garments that are required for the wedding feast are the linen garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness. In other words, it is a picture. In order to enter the wedding feast, you have to have the right garments on. And the two garments that Isaiah talked about is, is you must have the linen uh, garment of salvation and the robe of righteousness on in order to enter into the wedding feast. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 28 and let's talk a little bit about the garments and how that they are applicable to our lives. In Exodus 28, it's one of those chapters that you could get bored if you don't really get into it and study it. But in Exodus chapter 28 gives us the calling of the priesthood, God calling Aaron and his sons to the priesthood and what garments they are supposed to wear in order. All of this is to approach God. How many know God has an order in a way of approaching him? That we must do it the way God has put in his word to approach him. Here in Exodus chapter 28, we see God says in verse 1, Now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as a priest. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for, the, for glory and for beauty. In other words, what are these garments made for? that these garments are to be made so that they represent three things. Glory, God's glory, God's holiness, and God's beauty. In other words, he's calling Aaron and his brothers to the office of the priesthood, and they are to wear garments that represent God's glory, 
that represent God's holiness and God's beauty when they approach God. You know, the New Testament gives us five offices also. Apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, and evangelist. But I want to show you something about this garment of glory and where it came from. And in Genesis chapter 1, we all know the story of creation. In verses 26 and 27, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. According to our image and our likeness. It's plural. And then in verse 7 it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And male and female, he created them. And so if you want to know what Adam looked like, he looked like God. He was made in the image of God. He was made in God's image. And he was made in the likeness and the image of God. Psalms 104 also gives us a bigger picture of what Adam may have looked like because it gives us a description of God in Psalms 104. Psalms 104, and beginning in verse 1, David says, Oh my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who clothed yourself with light or glory, or shakinar, which means the Shekinah glory of God, as with a garment. In other words, David here is describing God that he describes God, he is clothed with honor, he's clothed with majesty, and he's clothed with glory. And so if you want to know what Adam looked like, he looked like God. He was clothed with majesty, he was clothed with glory, and he was clothed with honor and majesty. But the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 2, and we know that there, the, we've seen in Genesis 2, 25, we see these two descriptions of Adam and before God in his nakedness. Chapter 2, verse 25 says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. That describes Adam and Eve before the fall. Now the Hebrew word there for uh, naked is an interesting word. It's the word aram in the, in the Hebrew and it means to be partially covered or to be completely covered. What was he covered in? I believe before the fall, Adam was clothed in the glory of God. He was clothed in God's majesty. He was clothed with God's glory. And the reason they didn't see their nakedness, because God clothed them with majesty and with glory. And then in Genesis 3 verse 7, just a few verses later when they have fallen... And man has lost his, and now had a sin nature. Verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. What is being sown there? In verse 9, And then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard a voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And the word there, verse 10 is aerom, air which means uh, to be exposed or to, be, or to have nothing or to be exposed. So in Genesis 2, Adam was clothed with something 
Arom, he was clothed with the glory of God, but in Genesis 3, he loses his covering and he recognizes his nakedness. And so from Adam to Moses, all died. And God made a provision for the holy, the glory, and the beautiful garments. He put them back on the priest and passed them down, not only from the priest in the Old Testament, but passed them down to us. And so the garments of the priest was to show God's glory and his majesty and to show God's, uh, uh, his honor. And so just as the priests would wear the garments of the Old Testament, so we put on garments in the New Testament so that we also may display God's glory, his honor, and his majesty in our lives. And so God wants to clothe us this morning. And so the, the Old Testament priests put garments on so they could approach God, so that they could come into God's presence. But they had to do it in order. And so we in the New Testament, God speaks of putting on spiritual garments that we too may approach God, that we can come into his presence. I don't know about you, but I want to come into the presence of God this morning. I want to know God in a greater way. I want to come into his presence and know him deeper than I know him, than I've ever known him. And so the, the, the garments of the priesthood, now, we said that linen, I showed you in Scripture that linen represents what? The righteousness of God, right? And so we read here in Exodus 28, it says, first, the linen represents righteousness. As we, in, in Exodus, turned it back to Exodus 28. And it says, and you shall speak to all who are, are the gifted artisans, whom I will fill with the spirit of wisdom that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him that he may minister to me in the priesthood. And so we see these garments that are being made. First, there are these linen garments that are made for the priest. There are the linen garments that the priests are to wear. And so I want to show you the first garment that the priests are to wear. If you go to Exodus 28 and verse 42, it tells us, and you shall make for them a linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. And so here in verse 42, he tells us that there are these linen garments that the priests are to put on to cover their nakedness. These linen breeches, these pants, they're put on to cover their nakedness so that they may come before God. It tells us that they are, they're really undergarments. They're really called breeches. There's a picture of them there. And the garments, it says that, that they, they're undergarments. They're garments you put uh, on um, and you lower them to the earth and you bring them upon the priest. Isaiah 61 tells us the order of the garment the, it tells us the order of the garments that the priest put on. He said, first they put on the garment of salvation and then the robe of righteousness. And so the first garment is the garment of salvation. The breeches, which the priests are supposed to put on to cover their nakedness, are the garment of salvation. And you say, well, you'll have to show me that in the New Testament. Well, I'm glad you're asked. John chapter 12 and verse uh, 
32 says, Jesus said that if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Jesus was speaking about the type of death that he would die and that, and that the scripture tells us that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels that he might redeem man. He said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And so the breeches were the only garment that the priest put on that first went to the earth and then came up. In other words, they would lower uh, those breeches and they would step into those breeches and pull them up. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. These breeches are representative of our salvation. They are a salvation garment to cover our nakedness. And so, these garments we put on, they cover their nakedness. It was a garment of salvation. Now, it wasn't something that just came on them. They had to choose to put them on. You and I this morning have to choose to receive Christ as our Savior. You and I have to make the decision that we're going to put on the breaches of salvation to cover our nakedness. Because before Christ, you are naked before God. And you can't show up at the wedding feast of God without the proper garment on or you'll be cast into outer darkness. And I'm here to tell you this morning that the breaches represent the salvation of God. They represent God covering your nakedness. You have to choose to step into them. You have to choose to receive Christ. You have to choose to ask Jesus into your life. We have to choose to step into salvation. What are we doing? We're drawing nigh to God. The scripture says if you'll draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. And then the second garment that came was the linen robe. According to Isaiah 61, the robe of righteousness. When we put on the garment of salvation, what happens is God takes the linen robe of righteousness because we are still naked from our waist up and from our knees down. So we put on the breeches of salvation, but what does God do? God puts on the linen garment and the robe of righteousness. So when you come to Christ, he puts on you the garment of righteousness. How many are thankful that God has clothed you with the garment of righteousness? You say, well, how, how do I know that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says this. For he made, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. Jesus' death and resurrection paid the price that we might be righteous. How many know you're not righteous in your own goodness? You're not righteous in just who you are, but you've been made righteous through Christ. That he bore our sins. He was one who knew no sin, but he took on our sin that we might be called the righteousness of God. And so drawing close to God, we have to put on the breaches of salvation and God puts on us the robe of righteousness. Every priest had to step into the undergarments. And God sent the robe of righteousness from the heavenlies. 
and it covers the rest of our nakedness in his righteousness. Here God has given us a pattern in how we are to approach him, how we are to draw nigh to him and draw close to him. And it doesn't matter. That priest could be fully dressed if he doesn't have the linen robe underneath and if he doesn't have the breeches on. The scripture tells us in Exodus 28, 31 that he'll die if he goes into the presence of God without the correct garments on. We must put on the correct garments. We must put on the garments that represent. And so the linen robe and the breeches were two basic necessities of the wedding garments that are mentioned in the New Testament. Exodus 28 and verse 31. Now that we have the breeches and the robe of righteousness on, In Exodus, he goes on to describe the robe of the ephod. And this is a robe that is put on. And the robe, of, it's, it's the scripture, it is blue. And verse 31 tells us, And you shall make the robe of the ephod all blue. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it, and it shall have been woven and binded around its opening like the opening in a coat of male and and that it does not tear. In other words, around the collar of it, they're to make put extra material so that it doesn't rip easy. You remember in the in Bible times that they would sometimes they would rent their garments as a sign of being uh, of sorrow. They would rent their garments. The priestly garments were not to be rent. Matter of fact, if a priest rent his garments He was disqualified from the priesthood. Y'all remember at Jesus' trial? What did Caiaphas do? He rent his garment when Jesus told him he was the son of God. And we'll talk about that later. But this was a garment, this blue garment. You can see it there, the blue garment that came over the linen, the robe, and came over the breeches. And this was a linen garment. Um, this garment is in blue and it represents, it was a garment that was worn. Uh, it was garment, it was a garment that was worn when the priest would go into the holy place and the holy of holies or not the holy of holies, but the holy place. This garment is what the priest would serve in when he would serve in the holy place. In other words, he had to have that garment on to go in to the holy place. And, but it's interesting what is spoken of of this garment. It is blue. The garment represents, it really represents the Holy Spirit. It represents the Holy Spirit coming upon us. In Exodus 28, 35, it tells us the purpose of the garment. And it shall be upon Aaron when he ministers and its sound be heard when he goes into the holy of holy place before the Lord when he comes out that he may not die. So this garment was a garment that was worn over the breeches and the linen coat. On the bottom of it, it had bells and it had pomegranates or, 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 or uh, interwoven into it was pomegranates and bells. So that when the, the 
priest was in the holy place, they could hear the noise of the activity that was taking place. And so there were three levels of the priesthood. There were the Levites, there was the priest, and then there were the high priest. You know, the scripture tells us that certain people produce certain amount of fruit. There's 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold producers. Levels of maturity in the kingdom. And so all three priesthood wore the breeches. All three priesthood wore the uh, linen coat and the sash. All of them wore the white bonnet. But only, only those that ministered into the holy place, the high priests, could wear the blue garment. It was for another level. Not all wore the blue robe. It is a robe, it is a robe of separation. It's what separated the Levites, and it's what separated others. And it represents, this garment represents, it represents the Holy Spirit coming on us. Luke 24 and 49, Jesus tells us of a garment. He says this, I don't know if anybody here has the New American Standard with them, but in Luke 24, 49, it says, Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait until when? Until you are endued with power from on high. The New American Standard translates it right by saying, until you are clothed with power from on high. Jesus is talking about another garment. What is he talking about? He's talking about the coming of the baptism of the Holy Spirit on your life. Being clothed with power. What does the baptism of the Holy Spirit allow us to do? To serve God. It allows us to serve God with power. And so the priests would wear this blue garment and, and while they were serving in the holy place. We all know what was in the holy place. The showbread, the incense, the candles. All of those were in the, in the holy place. It's where they would serve. It's what they would wear while they were serving in the holy place. And if you and I are going to serve God, we need the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And I believe the Holy Spirit helps us come, to, the baptism of the Holy Spirit helps us come into full maturity in God. The Levites worked in the outer court. The 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 priest and the high priest in the inner court with the blue robes on. And then when they would go into the Holy of Holies, they could only wear the linen robes. They would not wear the blue robes, but only the linen robes when they went into the holy place. And so these three aspects. And understand that these garments are garments that come over the head or come down over the head. What's that represent? It represents that they are given from heaven. They're given from God. The robe of righteousness comes over your head. It's given by God. The, the robe of the ephod, which represents the Holy Spirit coming upon us, that is given to us by God. We don't earn it ourselves. It's something that is given by God. It came over the head. It descended from heaven. And the Bible says that there were bells and pomegranates on the bottom thread of this garment. In other words, the bells represent the noise in, in the holy place. And what, what, was, what was the ringing of the bells? What would they represent? 
Well, they would represent noise. What did that noise do? It was a, it was a picture of evidence. It was an evidence that something was going on in the holy place. Bells represent the noise, represents the anointing. And, and we know that the anointing is evidence that something is going on in the house of God. When the anointing is being poured out, the noise represents the anointing of God. The pomegranates represent the fruit that's tied to the anointing. So you have the bells which represent the anointing of God, that something's going on in the holy place, and the pomegranates represent, the pomegranate represents a fruit. And so when you have the anointing and you have the pomegranate together, what do you have? You have a fruit of the Spirit that is taking place. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 tells us of the fruits of the Spirit. There are nine fruits of the Spirit. And what does that tell us? It tells us that these nine fruits of the Spirit. But here's what's interesting. And when we, when we see places in Scripture that give us the list, like the nine fruits of the Spirit, the, the Scripture teaches that there's a law of first reference, that always whatever is mentioned first is always the dominant, the dominant force. Back in the summer, I was in California and walked in to buy some shampoo, and, uh, and I walked into the store, and I saw shampoo that was $75 on the shelf in California. I thought, who buys $75 shampoo? Now, don't raise your hand if you do. But somebody's doing really well that's selling $75 shampoo, a bottle. And I was shocked. I couldn't, I mean, there, there, there were some that was even more expensive than that. When I, I was interested, I said, well, what is the ingredients in this $75 shampoo? And the same way in the natural, when you look at ingredients, whatever's listed first is what's dominant. Guess what was the dominant thing in those $80 shampoo bottles? Water. Water. Yeah. I thought, but what is mentioned first in the, in the nine fruits of the Spirit? It's, it mentions love first. Is that right? That means that's preeminence over all and over all of the fruits of the Spirit. All the fruits of the, in other words, as Corinthians tells us that if we have not love, then we become what? And if we have not love, but yet we speak in all manner of tongues, we become what? We become like a clanging symbol, right? So love is the dominating fruit of the Spirit. So love is the dom, but the bell is the evidence. How do you know the Holy Spirit is among His people? Because the anointing is there. There's the evidence of the anointing. The evidence of the, what is the evidence of the anointing in the New Testament? It's signs, wonders, and miracles. It's the noise of the Holy Spirit that is produced that shows us that the Holy Spirit is present. But you can't have an outpouring of the Holy Spirit if there's not love that's there. It is the evidence. But I believe that we, we're living now in an age when people are chasing individuals 
when I believe God is getting ready to raise up groups of people who will say, God, make me a vessel, prepare me, prepare us, sanctify me, cleanse me. I believe God is raising up a kingdom of priests who are going to walk about with signs, wonders, and miracles in their lives that are going to be just outside of these four walls. We see the evidence of this in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. 1 Corinthians 12, we can call the bell chapter. It talks about spiritual gifts, the ringing of the bell. 1 Corinthians 14 can also be called the bell chapter. It speaks of prophecy and tongues, interpretation, and spiritual gifts. But what is in between of those two chapters? Chapter 13 is the love chapter. It is the love chapter. You have bell chapter, love, and bells again. The nine gifts. And so here's the thing. Why is there a pomegranate in between the bells? It's because there's only nine gifts of the Spirit. And so how many know there can be multiple gifts operating in one body? But it tells us there must be love between the congregation. There must be love between the people. There will be duplicate gifts in the body. And there will be more than one spiritual gift that will be in the body. But there has to be love between us as God begins to move. We see this in the book of Acts. We see it operating this way in the book of Acts. Do you remember Peter and John as they came to the temple, the gate beautiful? And when they came there, there was a man who was begging arms. And in Acts chapter 3, we see the story. It's, 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 it's fascinating because the way we see how John and Peter related and responded to this man at the gate beautiful. Both of those men represented carrying the full authority of the apostleship. Was it not? Were not both of those men anointed of God? Carrying the fullness of God's call on their life? And when they got to the man at the gate beautiful in chapter 3 and beginning in verse 6, the Bible tells us this. It said, then Peter said, or when they arrived, Peter and John about to go into the temple, a man asking for alms, in verse 4, and fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter said, look at us. In other words, John with Peter said, look upon us. You see the show of unity that's there. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. And then Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I give thee, I give to you. Silver and gold, I do not have. He changes the personal pronoun in the name of Jesus Christ, arise and walk. And what do we see here? We see here Peter is the bell. Peter's the one that reaches out and grabs him and says, silver and gold have I none, but that which I give to thee, I give in the name of Jesus Christ. And what's he say? He says, arise and walk. He's the one that is releasing the gifts of the Spirit. But John, John is standing back and he's what? He's the pomegranate. He is, he is, the, 
He's the one that I believe, I, I don't, we don't know for sure, but I believe as Peter was lifting him up in prayer, I believe John was standing behind him praying and being the pomegranate, being the love behind what Peter was doing. A picture of perfect unity. I want to close with this this morning. Upon the robe of the ephod, the blue robe, there were two things that were significant on it. First of all, there were two straps that came over the ephod that connected the back to the front. They were two straps. They were two onyx stones that were, uh, that were set in gold. And on the stones, the scripture tells us in Exodus 28 that they were to put the names of the tribes of Israel engraved on them so that they would be upon their shoulders. And these two straps held together what was called the breastplate, which was on the front. And so the gem stones, they bore the names of the people of God. And so on their, on their shoulders. In other words, it was a picture of the high priest identifying with the people of God. You see it there on top of the shoulders. You see that gold strap that comes down on the top were two stones with the name of the tribes of Israel. And it was upon the shoulders so that, so that the high priest would, be, would identify with the people of God. Now the purpose of this was this, is that the high priest or the priest's first ministry was to God. And so their first ministry was to God. Listen, as believers, our first ministry is to God, is to go before God in our personal life, in our prayer life before God. But when we carry the work of the people, that they would carry them on their shoulders. It was a picture that they were connecting with the people, the place of work. It also meant that also they would work for and with the people of God. The high priest was representing, working for and with the people of God. Listen, the garments that God gives us in the priesthood is that we are to give our lives for the church and give our lives for the people in whom we worship with and whom the people of God are. We're to serve one another. Would you all not agree? We're to serve and love one another and carry the burdens of one another. The high priest, that represented carrying the burdens of the people. He identified with people. Let me tell you, I identify with the church this morning. I have no problem being a Christian and identifying with God's church this morning. But we are to be connected to the body, connected to the work of the body. And then there was the breastplate that went on the front, which was, had the 12 stones, and the 12 stones had the names of the tribes of Israel, the names of the son of Israel. Why were they put on the front? Because God wanted the people of God to be close to the heart of those that represented God and served God. How many know God's people should be close to our heart? God's people should be on our heart. It's not enough to just work for the people of God or carry the burden. We must also love the people and bear them in our hearts. Now on the breastplate also, inside of them, were two stones that were called Urim and Thurmum. 
And both of these represented stones. They were stones. And when you read that Exodus 28, three times it's mentioned. It's called the breastplate of judgment. And it was because of those stones, the Uman and the Thurman, in which these two stones uh, were two stones. One was dark and one was light. And they would carry them in the vestment. And so when the high priest would go in and commune with God and ask a question, if he wanted discernment from God, he had to reach into his vestment and pull one of those stones out. And depending on what stone he pulled out, depending on what was represented or what God's answer was. The light stone represented yes and the dark stone represented no. In other words, they were hearing the voice of God. But what were they doing? Why did they do that? They were just doing and obeying the word of God. Because the word of God told them to put those stones in there. And when they would question God or ask God a question, they would reach in and pull out a stone for discernment to hear what God's answer was. They were there because the word of God told them to put them there. When we need discernment or when we need an answer from God and we get in his holy place, how many know that we find the answer through the word of God? That it's through the word of God that we find our yes and we find our no's. It's through the word of God that we find God's discernment for our lives. And so these priests would put these garments on so that they may approach God. They put these garments on that they may come before a holy God. You may be here this morning. And if Jesus returned today, you may be found naked without the right wedding garments on. Maybe you have never put on the breaches of salvation. Maybe you've never made the decision to step into the breaches of the wedding garment so that God could clothe you with righteousness. And if he came today, you'd be found without the right garments on. I think if the fire of God's going to fall, that when the priest did things right and offered the right sacrifice, then the presence of God would show up and consume the sacrifice and fire would fall. If we order our lives and walk as New Testament priest, as I read to you in 2 Peter And verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That we are to put on the garments of the priesthood. That we may come before the presence of God and offer God a spiritual house ready to serve God, ready to bear the burdens of the people of God, keeping the people of God close to our heart, representing God, allowing the Holy Spirit to baptize us and come on us that we may serve with power this morning. Pastor Adam, if you'll come this morning. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for more of God. I want more of God in my life. And I want the robe of the ephod to fall upon me. I want the noise of the Holy Spirit to be in the house. But everything that God does in the spiritual realm, I want it also to be backed up with love 
and with concern for the body. And my challenge to you this morning is to put on the proper garments. One, to be ready. To be ready for the wedding feast. To be ready to stand before God and have the proper garments on that you may not be cast out into outer darkness. Have you accepted Christ today as your Savior? Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? Have you received Him in your heart? Have you asked Him to come in and forgive you of your sins? To wash you clean? How many know life doesn't really begin until you begin life with Jesus? That's when life really begins. Stand with me if you would this morning. And maybe you're here this morning. And you've not put those garments on. We want to give you an opportunity to know Jesus this morning. But maybe you're here this morning and you find yourself not clothed. Maybe you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We'd like to pray for you this morning. Receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That would come on your life. That you may be able to serve God. You may go in deeper into God. What is it? We draw nigh to Him and God what? Draw nigh to us. What does the Holy Spirit do? It allows you to draw closer to God. To draw closer to the deep things of God. Allows you to become and be a part of the priesthood of the believer. I want you to know this morning that he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. He wants us to be kings and priests. He wants us to put the right garments on. They would put a miter on their head. And it was a gold it was, it, was a, it was a tunic, it was linen that was wrapped in a gold band that would wrap around the whole head. The whole purpose of this miter was to show that the hand of God was upon the man that was serving God. So that all that he did was not in his own strength, but was in the strength of God. How many are glad that God has clothed you and put on you And that that which you do for God, you don't do in your own strength. You do in His strength. I don't know about you. I need God's strength every day. And if you're serving God in any area, you need the presence of God in your life. You need to know. People need to know that it's not God. The turban was the testimony. The testimony of the priesthood. It was the visual testimony of God's hand being upon them. That that which they were doing were not in their own strength or their own idea, but following the idea of God. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, let's all close our eyes this morning. If you're here this morning, just in a posture of prayer, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ and you'd like to receive Jesus as your Savior, just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I need to know Christ. I'm lost without God. I don't have the right wedding garments on, but I want to know Jesus. I'm not going to embarrass you this morning. I just want you to be ready to receive Christ. Maybe the Holy Spirit has dealt with you about how you're living, you're you're walking in your Christian life. 
and you need Jesus. If that's you, just lift your hands up this morning. Let us pray for you this morning. Try Jesus. The devil will always take you back. (laughs) Give him a chance this morning. Put on the linen breeches of salvation that he may be able to clothe you with the robe of righteousness. You'd say, Pastor, I need prayer this morning. I need prayer to walk in in the priesthood. I need prayer to walk at a greater level. You'd say, I need prayer. Just lift your hands up if you need prayer this morning. You'd like us to pray for you this morning. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.